This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgat. Truly outrageous, egregious, and offensive. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESP. We know we've uh, we've yet to accomplish everything we want to accomplish, and we've got a lot of lot of work out ahead of us. But uh, we're hungry for it, and uh, I think uh, I think everybody in this locker room is hungry. We trust our process, and our process is coming in on Mondays, uh, reviewing the film, looking at what we did well, looking at what we didn't do well, uh, getting better, and. Uh, you know, no matter what uh, you know the outcome may have been, no matter what the past, like I said, we're we're you know letting all that go because everything we want is right in front of us. We haven't accomplished anything yet. You know, we've set ourselves up in a great spot, but you know, being nine and two only guarantees us that we won't finish worse than nine and seven. So, um, yes, we've set ourselves up in a great situation, but uh, it's easy to keep working and to stay focused and be locked in because. We haven't accomplished anything yet. Kyle Rudolph, Case Keenum, Vikings, and Falcons this weekend. Two tough road games. Then the schedule lightens up with Cincinnati, and then you get to Green Bay and Chicago to finish the season. Did, did you see the Case news this morning that we have not brought up yet? Case Keenum, NFC Offensive Player yeah. of the Month. Yeah. NFC Offensive Player of the Month for November. Case Keenum. Let's all pair. Do it. Pay respect to Case. Skull. What are some of the underrated or under-talked-about stories of this 2017 Viking season? Obviously, the Case Keenum story Yep. and the Bridgewater coming back. That's the most talked-about thing in the country right now, the Vikings. But what are some other things that you think deserve more attention? I feel like offensive line also has been talked about a lot. And it should be, uh, but I don't feel like that's been sold short. I'm going to give you my number one thing that I think has been sold short, and I brought this up a few times, but not a lot, is Trey Wayne's play. I think we're underestimating the fact that uh, that because, for the most part, aside from the Thanksgiving Day game, teams don't throw at roads, Trey Wayne's has played really well. He's not perfect. He's made some mistakes. But when you consider the fact that he is thought of as the weak link and you think about the progress that guy has made in three years, Mm -hmm. and I'm the one that sat here two years ago and said he's got to improve. He's a first-round pick. If he does not improve, it's going to be a real problem. I think the the top thing that comes to my mind is how much Trey Waynes has been thrown at and the fact that we don't sit here on a regular basis at all and say, wow, he, he sure got beat. He gets beat occasionally, which he's going to, but I think that is an absolute huge story for this defense is the other corner position has held up. Yeah, it is. It, it, and the, the Vikings have had that in the past where there's just one guy who sits out there, Josh Robinson, and he's just going to get smoked for a 150 passer rating or something. And they don't really have. Now, I, yeah, Trey Waynes as a tackler has been phenomenal. Trey Waynes in, in pass coverage has been not quite, you know, a superstar, but he's right. been fine. So I'll add to that. The fact that Mackenzie Alexander has been playable is a, is a story. That was number two on my list. Yeah. Yes. So like the the fact that he's been he he felt a little bit like a bust last year, and some of that's just because he didn't get out there, and there were stories about his ability or willingness to retain information and and, and be coachable. Mm-hmm. But he's gotten out there. In fact, he picked off the first pass of his career since high school because he didn't pick off 
any passes at Clemson in college. And it was a two years he was uh, a regular at Clemson. So you've got a bunch of reliable guys at worst. And then even maybe a couple stars. Terrence Newman has been a star for a long time off and on and even at his old age. So, uh, yeah, I would put I would put McKenzie Alexander in that mix. Can I add for even though he's been talked about the fact that Everson Griffin leads the NFL in sacks, having missed two games. He's got 12 sacks this season, having missed two games. Mm-hmm. This is the third time in the last four years he's had double-digit sacks. He's also just really good in all situations. He's not your classic third-down pass rusher guy, like a Lance Johnstone from 15 years ago, <laughs> where he's going to come in and tee off. And like Jared Allen really wasn't going to get out of the— Jared Allen wasn't going to tackle a lot of running backs in the backfield. But he was going to tackle quarterbacks in the backfield. Yes. Everson Griffin does both. So I think, even though he's been talked about, I I almost think it's an underrated storyline that Everson Griffin has become maybe a borderline top defensive player in Vikings history if we if he carries this on the next two or three years. Fourth round pick, too. Yeah, first round talent dropped yep. because of weird character things. Yep. Uh, my second one offensively. Rudolph's stats, if you look, last year he caught 83 passes for 840 yards and 7 touchdowns. He's at 46 catches right now. And if you just go by raw stats, you say, well, his production's dropped. I actually think a storyline with him is his production, his statistical production's dropped, but he is more effective now. I think last year he became a default. He became a... Well, we don't have much time for Sam to drop back and pass, and there's Kyle, so just throw it to him. Yeah. And and you said, okay, but this offense really is not working. Within the scope of what they're doing offensively, what he has done to me is a huge improvement because when he does catch passes now and is used, I think it's far more effect- effective and efficient than it was last year. Need to pause the Vikings conversation for just a moment as Tiger Woods tees off for the first time in nearly a year. Smoking that drive right down the middle of the fairway. What? What? I'm sorry. Off of what, what looked Dave? to be some sort of a am I seeing something cactus wrong? in the in the uh, Dave, sand area. It bounces back to the middle of the fairway. Tiger I, Woods is back. I wouldn't say the middle. Yeah, I'm. Mean, it's close to I'd the middle. It might it's be on the, in edge. the It's in green. It's it's green. The ball is yeah. No, in a patch it of was grass. nowhere near the middle. I saw some type of uh, is, marker that was. It went. The ball went right by. They found the ball. They found the ball. Yeah, and he looked like was was that a smile as he teed off or a grimace of pain as his spinal cord listen, sort of moved. Listen, right his to outfit left. fits fine. His outfit fits. You said Tiger Woods off is the bad. air before. Did you think he's sporting a gut right now? And then you said, or are those abs? Which is the silliest thing I've ever heard. Because I if, wonder if he the same real thing abs, every morning when I look in the mirror. <laughs> Delusional. Also see Mackie. That's why I tilt all my mirrors to make myself look like Ryan Gosling. Hey, honey, look at me. Look at how I look this morning. Well, you're still fat. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Oh, I can only say that because I have the same problem. Um, So Kyle Rudolph is my offensive one. I'll give you another offensive. Underrated, under-talked-about stories with the Vikings. Post-Adrian Peterson era. Now, they began the post-Adrian Peterson era last year because he only really played in, what, three games or whatever it was. But it was Matt Asiata getting the bulk of it. So now they had a full off season to prep a versatile group of running backs and, and a scheme for those running backs. Mm-hmm. And if you add up the production, I'm just going to take you to the passing game specifically. Latavius Murray, Jarek McKinnon, and Dalvin Cook have combined for 54 receptions so far 
through the 11 games. So that's like five receptions per game. Let's tack on another 25 to that total. We're talking about 80 receptions combined on a pace for out of your backfield. Adrian Peterson's career high as the bell cow was what, 45, 43? It was 43 in 2009 with so, Favre, I believe. So the, I think yes. the ability to replace handoffs and traditional eye formation, you know, run, run, pass with dump offs, running backs in motion, screen yeah. passes. Yes. If that group of running backs winds up catching 80 passes on the season, that's a huge win for this Vikings offense. What do you think this offense is like if, if Peterson's planted back in, in it right now? So if they had had the season, and let's say he played the entire year, what do you think this offense is like? I mean, it would be like a little bit like the Saints, where he just doesn't play very often. Where if you get a lead and you're looking to run some clock, he's more of a second-half bell cow running back. But, you know, the Saints with Ingram and Kamara, they told Peterson, yeah, sorry, man, but we, we just want the threat of these guys doing anything out of the backfield, and you don't really provide that. So yeah. if we have a two-touchdown lead, we'll hand you the ball. But... And they just cut him did, after four games. Did they sign him not fully knowing what he was? I mean, he's he's a huge name. I get that. But did they sign him thinking, oh, you know what? He probably can catch the ball. The Vikings just didn't use him that way. There was probably some component. I think, well, they first of all, they signed him right before they drafted Alvin Kamara. Yes. And, and even when they drafted him, they didn't know how good he was going to be because it wasn't like he was a first-round pick, you know, can't-miss type, type guy coming out of college. So... But then they, there's probably an element of, you know what, we've got Drew Brees, we throw the ball, we can for sure mix him in on some of these passing sets, and you know I'm, he's been in the league for 10 years, so he can for sure at least pick up blitzes, right? Right. Uh, no. The answer's I, no. I think the Saints also thought what we talked about in, in this town for years and years and years, which is this, well, it's going to be great for Brees when there's all these guys in the box, right? <laughs> yeah. There's going to be all these, all these defenders are going to come, and then they realized, no, he's... Almost zero. Threat. You know, I'll add another thing. You know, just speaking of Peterson, and you're coming out of the Peterson era, and this is totally eye test by me. I'm sure Pro Fo- Football Focus and the other places could tell you if I'm right or wrong on this specific, uh, specifically. But I think the running backs' ability from Dalvin Cook to Jarek McKinnon, Latavius Murray, all three of them, you trust on third and eight. Here comes a blitzer, a linebacker, or a, or a stunting defensive lineman mm-hmm. through a wide open hole because the offensive linemen are you know picking up other players. And it's one-on-one, and that running back is the only thing standing between 250-pound trudging machine and quarterback. And more often than not, it feels like that trio of running backs this season picks up that blitz. Oh, they do, definitely. Giving Case Keenum and then before Sam Bradford time to to look down the field, right? Absolutely. They give you—basically, this trio has done everything that we talked about, which which is how you run an offense in 2017. This is exactly it. My coaching storyline that I don't think is probably being talked about enough, and it would be difficult because I don't think he would want to discuss it in detail, too, is this. What Zimmer learned from last year I think is invaluable. How to not tick off your whole locker room after a 5-0 start? Yes, and for all he he talked about or all all he said that that we learned from from last year, I think what he's saying is I learned from last year. And where I, I give him a ton of credit is... He's the guy who called in veterans he trusted and said, basically, what did I do wrong? And I think they told him. I think they had no problem saying, you know, cutting up uh, stuffed toys was stupid, um, getting mad at people publicly who were, who, who, by the way, had surgeries that went wrong, was really dumb, ripping Anthony Barr. I think that is a really important one. Uh, sorry to interrupt again, Judd, but Tiger with 
a little sand wedge from 99 yards on the par 4 first at the Hero World Challenge. He pitches to within 12 feet for a birdie opportunity. I feel Tiger like, Woods is back, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like Dave should play the Mackie Sounder as well. That's right. So that we're very you can aware. deny all you want. That we're very aware of the delusional nature of my co-host. Tiger will have the lead here with his 12-foot birdie tap-in on the first hole. Let's just see how the birdie putt goes, and then we can move from there. How's that I think he knows how to putt, Dave. He's been around the block a well, time I or two. know oh, how to putt. That doesn't mean I can get it in the hole. I think he can read a green. He's... Been around for a long time. He's 14 major championships. Yeah, his name is Tiger Woods. He's been around the block quite okay. a bit. Yeah, five bucks says he misses. Yeah. Hold yeah. on a second. I yeah. I like this. Just, uh, light that money hey. on fire. Brandon Chambly. Uh 301 days since the last competitive round and hasn't missed a beat. That's right, Tiger Woods. Uh, should we talk to Myra Medcalf and we come back about Tiger Woods? <laughs> Let's talk to somebody else. <laughs> I'm going to ask him Tiger Woods questions the whole let's, time. Let's not do that. All right, Gophers in Miami from last night. A lot to get to. Meyer Medcalf. Okay, let's go. Running their mouths counts as a morning run, right? Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd. On 1500 ESPN. Coffee spinning. Double clutch. Doesn't go. From his backside, he hits. Are you kidding? <laughs> Give them credit. I thought they made big plays when they needed to. Uh, we did not. That's a really, really good team. So uh, as, as difficult as it is to, to lose at home, we'll learn from it. We'll get better. It's not even December 1st yet. Yeah, I think McBrayer would have made a big difference last night at the barn. Judd was there. Myron Medcalf was in the house. Miami looks legit. The Gophers without Dupree McBrayer had to play some different lineups. Uh, it was a super fun environment, super fun game, Myron, from uh, ESPN.com, ESPN Radio. What were your takeaways last night, man? Uh, you know, I really thought there were two good teams really battling um, in a great environment. Uh, and I think you got two teams that in their respective conferences will compete for the championship. And, you know, it's one of those situations where you don't know a whole lot about any team that's playing in late November. But I think that moment in the last 10 minutes kind of showed uh, the positives and negatives of both teams. Obviously, Minnesota playing without Dupree, that hurt them. But I think they were a team that was kind of looking around to figure out who was going to close the show. And Miami seemed a little more confident with Bruce Brown uh, and the talent that he he is. And, you know, Dewan Hewell just really getting a lot of buckets in the paint. They just seemed like they were more confident down the stretch. But I thought it was two uh, quality teams battling it out in a really good game. What uh, type of step in your mind did Coffee take too? Because Coffee's a kid who who you, you've seen his talent since he got here, but I think there have been questions about when when's he going to start to take control of games and feel confident. And I thought that the guy we saw last night was that guy. Yeah, I think I agree, John. I think he he took that step in terms of realizing that hey, my team really needs me. Uh, and in terms of athleticism, I mean, those Miami kids are legit. I mean, Bruce Brown's a pro. That Lonnie Walker kid is probably going to be a pro. Uh, a lot of athleticism on that team, and Amir was one of the guys on the Minnesota roster who could really hang. Uh, and I think he was very assertive. He could have been more assertive, actually, in my opinion. Uh, I think he could have been the player down the stretch instead of Isaiah Washington trying to build him out late. I think it could have been more uh, Amir Coffey, but I think that was a great step. And, again, you're not going to see many Miamis in the Big Ten, teams that are that athletic and long and have that kind of scoring ability. Uh, so I think win or lose, it was a good opportunity for Minnesota, which I think is a good team. I mean, there are people on Twitter talking like the sky is falling. Miami's a really good team, 
uh, that would have beat that would have defeated a lot of teams yesterday. Hey, how much in your mind was the Canes' ability to hit threes based on on their uh, athletic ability and ability to knock down that shot? And how much on the flip side were you saying that the Gophers could have played better defense than they did against the threes? You know, I, it's kind of interesting, Jeff, because you come into a game like that, and this Miami team hasn't hit threes. I mean, so it's not like you had something on film to say, wow, if they get hot, they can really torch you. There was no evidence of that. I, I think they just got hot. Um, and I think, honestly, they surprised themselves. In the first couple of minutes, I think Bruce Brown and Anthony Lawrence got hot, both started like three for four, but the rest of the team was like one for 11 uh, in, in the first 10 minutes of the game. So there was no evidence that they were going to catch fire like that. And I think what people may not realize is that uh, it's almost impossible to, to defend a three. I mean, obviously you want to put pressure on the perimeter, but like statistically speaking, it's very hard to do a whole lot against a team that's shooting that way. And, you know, when a team hits 10 threes, goes 10 for 25, uh, I think it made it difficult. And I think in Richard Pitino's, uh, you know, for his team, you've got a squad in Miami that is hitting threes all of a sudden, but they're also getting to the paint and getting to the rim with their athletes, Bruce Brown and some of those guys. And I think they had a lot of trouble slowing them down. I mean, my, Minnesota is a top 30 defense, top 40 defense in terms of efficiency. Any team that puts up 86 points uh, on the road against a team like that definitely has a lot of skill uh, and a lot of talent. It's Myron Medcalf from uh, many of ESPN's platforms, ESPN Radio, ESPN.com. Um, we're talking Gophers in Miami from last night. And you know, Jordan Murphy was already a really good player, a double-double guy who uh, who kind of blossomed at the end of last season again. He went into the offseason and just beasted into one of the best big men in the country. And last night was a good prove-it game. I mean, at Providence, he played well, but last night was a good prove-it game. He did struggle a little bit. He missed a couple potential and-one opportunities, a couple free throws, but another solid game. What are the biggest differences you notice about Jordan Murphy this season compared to the last two, Myron? Well, he's just stronger. I mean, his body looks a lot different. Um, you know, he, he obviously has, has that length. And he's obviously a bigger kind of brawny kid, but now he looks strong. Um, and you can see that against that Miami team, physically he could hang. I don't know if he could have done that last year. I mean, to me, Jordan Murphy is, you know, one jump shot uh, away from making a lot of money, potentially at the next level uh, or somewhere overseas. I mean, he's just the kind of kid where I would want him on my roster if he can learn to expand his range. But I think he's just a guy who feels more assertive, uh, he's more confident, especially on the defensive end, uh, I think. And he's really – he knows who he is, and he's really attacking. I mean, the way he played, especially early in the game. Again, I guess that Miami team that's top ten legitimately, I think, in the country, a team that can compete for the ACC title, he held his own. Uh, so I think those are sort of the biggest differences with the with the Jordan Murphy. And I honestly wanted to see more of him down the stretch. I thought, you know, between Mason and Murphy, I mean, they, they – lost some of that confidence that we saw early in the game when Miami started to pull away late. Yeah, and there was a li- just a little bit too much throughout the game. Isaiah Washington, I mean, I- Isaiah Washington is supremely talented, but he felt in over his head a little bit for sure with the 1-for-10 start. You know, he had more shots at halftime. I was I looked at the box score, I'm like, wow, he had more shots at halftime than anybody else on the roster, and I'm thinking... This is good experience for him. I love that he's confident, but pump the brakes. Not every layup has to be a flashy, you know, switch the ball around. Just he needs to pump the brakes a little bit, Myron. Yeah, I think every other player in that game was at Williams Arena. Uh, Isaiah Washington was at Rucker Park. <laughs> <laughs> he was at a he was in a You're different right. game. 
you know, and I think, you know, he, he was just trying to do too much at the end of the day. And I, I love being assertive. I mean, for me, it's not easy to be a freshman and to have the confidence to attack like that, especially against a team like Miami, but it became a lot. Um, he got ahead of himself, missed a lot of shots. And with young guys, they think the cure of when you're struggling, they think the cure is to shoot more. When you mature, you realize, wait a minute, I'm cold. How do I get other guys involved to find the best shot? Forget about it, it's me or not. What's the best shot? But young guys go, well, wait a minute. If I keep shooting, eventually they'll fall. And I think Isaiah fell into that. And to me, I wasn't quite sure why he was the guy dominating the ball down the stretch. I know he hit a couple of big shots, but I also thought like, hey, this is the time to spread the ball around because that's what got you guys into a position to uh, to be tied I think it was tied at halftime or close to being tied at halftime. It was, yeah. They were spreading the ball around, and they weren't doing that late. Uh, Isaiah's going to be a, a heck of a player. He has a lot of building blocks to be a really good player. But, yeah, yesterday was was a struggle, especially the early start. To me, it wasn't just not having Dupree. That Eric Curry injury, mm-hmm. now you lose a lot of depth inside as well. I think you could see Reggie Lynch being really tired down the stretch and Jordan being really tired down the stretch uh, because it's a lot to battle a team like Miami that just keeps attacking uh, the way that the Hurricanes did. What I didn't get is, uh, to your point, why why didn't Mason bring the ball down, down the court there late? Because w- Washington did several times, I thought. And and the problem w- with him, to me, was not just the shots. It was the speed. I mean, he was trying to go you know as fast as possible. And I said to myself, in this situation, what I would want is a player to bring the ball down the court sort of methodically at times and, and survey the situation. And he didn't. I was surprised that Patino didn't have um, have Nate actually run the offense in you know m- more often and had uh, Isaiah doing it. Yeah, I was surprised too. I wasn't really sure, you know, what what was happening. I mean, I think Isaiah hit a couple shots and then he just became more aggressive. I think this is a Minnesota team that. If you look at what happened last year, they won a bunch of close games. They lost some close games, too, but they won a bunch of close games. Um, and I think when you're playing in Miami, you're going to have to battle it out all 40 minutes. And they didn't look like they had a plan in terms of how do you respond to a team that's pouring it on late? How do you match them? They don't really have a closer. Uh, I think Minnesota's a, really, a good team and can be a really good team. That's their potential. But who closes the show? You know, Is it Nate? Is it Jordan? Yes. Is it Amir? I mean, I think they're still trying to figure that out in late November. That was not a question with Miami. Yeah, there are a bunch of guys on that team that could score, but when Bruce Brown needed to get a bucket and make a play, that's what he did because that's their first-round pick. And I think Minnesota's going to have to figure that out here before a Big Ten play because in those situations, it's not Isaiah Washington, but it has to be somebody down the stretch. Hey, Myron, what's your theory as to as to why the Gophers for the final 10 minutes against Alabama didn't like implement some better strategy? Did, <laughs> do you think Patino just kind of felt, well, we're already up, we're up by 15 and we don't want to make them look bad. Why, why did they, uh, why not, why not cherry pick or, or just be more aggressive driving to the hole? What do you think happened there? Uh, you know, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of coaches, just a lot of people about it. I, I honestly have no clue. I, I think, in his defense, that is a bizarre thing to see in, in the final 10 minutes of a game. Um, I, I don't even know how many people knew that you could play with three players. You know, like I didn't. A, lot, a lot of people probably assume you forfeit it. Yep. Apparently, you, you play until there's one, and then the refs decide if the team with one player left has an actual shot to win, and then if they don't, the game's over. Exactly. But a lot of people didn't know that. And my guess is, if you're a player on that Minnesota team, you're like, oh, okay, all right, guy, let's just ride this out. 
Because, I mean, in Minnesota's defense, I mean, I clowned them on Twitter. A lot of people did. But they were in control for 30-plus minutes of that game. I mean, yeah. they were the better team, clearly, for the bulk of that game. And then it just got weird. And I think Colin Sexton, just giving him kind of that space, he just hit some crazy shots, man. And they got a little momentum. All of a sudden, the crowd gets into it a little bit. I just think it was like this bizarre 10 minutes. And then down the stretch, when they realized that this Alabama team ain't messing around, they just kind of tighten up, you know? It's like, what do we do? Like, what what coach practices three-on-five? I had a coach reach out to me and say, hey, man, I got to start practicing three-on-five in practice because you never know, I guess. <laughs> I don't think anybody sees this, and, and no, those players certainly hadn't seen that. And it was just a weird, weird deal. But here's the thing. Had they lost, could you imagine what the reaction would have been the next day? Oh, my I'm God. They didn't lose that game because there would be a 30 for 30 about that. And <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that would have been uh, – I, mean, it, 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 I was definitely a little bit nervous watching when, when Alabama had a chance to tie it, but uh, that was fun. So that was fun last night at the barn. Gophers, I think Gopher fans should feel pretty good still about, about the team, even though they lost last night. So, Myron, thanks for your insight. We appreciate it. Thanks, Myron. No, thank you. All right, Myron Medcalf from ESPN's platform. All of them. That building was great last night. I don't care what anybody says about light a match and walk away. That building was fantastic last night. Um, we have, you know, let's do a little hot stove when we come back here. Let's mix in. It's yeah, winter meetings are coming up. Interesting story about potential implementation of an idea they've been kicking around for a few years in baseball, but doing it this upcoming season. Hot stove discussion when we come back, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. The Emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. On 1500 ESPN. Hot stove season. Not a lot of free agent action taking place right now, although I did see... Doug Fister signed with Texas. I saw that. He did, and there was another reliever that signed for like two years, $10 million, which kind of helps set... Not not like a top-tier reliever, but basically if you can pitch in the seventh inning or later, you're going to make $5 million a year. Mm Mm-hmm. So interesting. Buster only had a story out last week that one of the major changes the Players Association and uh, Major League Baseball have combined and put their heads together on. And this is more of a league mandated thing. And the Players Union is kind of they're trying to negotiate this. But a 20 second pitch clock, which Mm -hmm. they've been using in the minor leagues to test this out the past three years. Now. The, the the Players Association wants it to be more like 25 seconds. How about we get it to 22, 25 seconds? And baseball is standing firm. Rob Manfred saying, we want a 20-second pitch clock. Pitchers must start their motion within 20 seconds. I don't know what the punishment would be yet. And there's been some talk that this would only be when the bases are empty. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you'd have to start your motion to first base within 20 seconds. But it complicates things when there's guys on the base paths. You'd be able to time your stolen bases. Right, if like, oh, the clock's running down. Yep, I'll just take off. He's not. He's not. He's if he's not looking over here, and there's three seconds left. I know that I can probably just bolt over there. But what do you think about that? An official twenty-second pitch clock to help the pace of play problem. And I believe the I believe the rule is is that the owners and baseball have to take this to the players, but the CBA actually stipulates that if the players don't okay it, it can be put in enforced. In like January or something like that. I I like it. I like anything that picks up the pace. I like any idea that gives you a better chance to have have the pace of the game be quicker. It's ridiculous right now. I mean, every at bat is this. I get the ball back and I take some time and then and now and I don't know what happened to the rule a couple years ago where the batter was supposed to keep 
a a foot in the box. I believe if he fouled off a ball, he could step out. Yeah, that was like but two or besides, three years ago. And they enforced it. They enforced it big time for a season or so, or at least part of a year, and it helped. But last year was ridiculous. And so I don't care if the players like the rule or not. If we can come up with rules that force these guys to play at, at a pace, because this is not baseball. I mean, baseball, if you go back 50 years, baseball was not like this. So this whole notion of, well, you can't put clocks in the game is ridiculous. Baseball used to move at a much better, quicker pace. It doesn't now because of commercials. It doesn't now because of, of approaches at the plate. It doesn't now because pitchers approach things differently too. So so there's nothing sacred about the game should take a long time. I like the idea. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, when cars were invented, there were no speed limits, right? Because what? why would anyone... Th- who? There's no problem yet. No one's crashing. And, well, eventually you have to regulate things as things evolve. And to your point, 50 years ago, when games were two hours or two and a half hours, you didn't have network breaks. You didn't have you didn't have to cater to TV. You didn't have – here's another thing that, that slows down games, aside from the fact that we've just allowed way too much leeway for games to be paused. But there's so much information now, coaches just, you know, d- deciphering information for players – catchers giving updates to pitchers on what a batter's tendencies are. There's so much information and teams are trying to pass off some of that information between pitches or between innings. And that's why you see catchers going to the mound more often. Hey, uh, we got a shift over here. Yes. So uh, we want to make sure because we're shifting over here that we're going to pitch this batter over here. You can't possibly retain everything mentally, but if you retrain the guys on the field, and understand that you can't just call timeout whenever you want. Right now, there's leeway to call timeout whenever you want. Like the Cubs-Nationals playoff game, which was absolutely stupid. Yep. In fact, I think you could, without a pitch clock, I think you could almost get rid of a lot of other things. I'm fine with a pitch clock. Let's get the thing moving along a little bit. But pitcher-catcher meetings, batters stepping out of the box after every pitch, managers and or pitching coaches slow walking out to the mound to go meet with somebody. If you got rid of all those things and said you get two timeouts per game, Outside of pulling a pitcher. And the timeouts can either be called by the catcher, the manager, or the pitching coach. Maybe it's three timeouts. I don't know what the number would be. Yes. So if you walk out to the mound, yes. and, and that's even stupid. You want to change pitchers? <whistles> whistle for the ump. Call somebody a in. The manager doesn't need to come out. Yes. Yeah. If you want to pause the game so that... Pause the game, by the way, in addition to the 17 times the game is paused between half innings mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. Um, then... You can call a timeout. And if you're out of timeouts, sorry. If a quarterback's out of timeouts yeah, and the defense out. shows you a weird look, figure it out. Well, then save them, too. Yeah. Don't don't go out there in the second or third. If it's a minor thing, fix it. Here's my other replay rule that I would institute immediately. We are no longer going to look at pop-up slides. We are no longer going to. So if I think Maurer got a double and I think that his foot popped off the bag and the shortstop held the ball on his ankle and it popped up, but besides that, it's a double. That's a that's a tough, but you have I'm to no, define it somehow. I'm no longer, but what I'm saying is I'm going to sit down and define it, and I don't want that reviewed. I don't want that to be a, a reviewable play. The intention of replay was never to do that. It's a byproduct. Well, I think the only way I'm with you, I the, the spirit of replay is not for... A guy who beat the throat of the bag, and you're you're hovering over the bag as your foot comes off by a centimeter. I don't like that. I get that. Hey, technically you're off the bag, but if you're gonna make it a black and white rule, which you have you have to define it, I think you'd have to almost just create a safe space above the base. Okay. 
that goes all the way up to the sky. Absolutely fine with and that. And if you've touched the base and your foot comes up and you're still on the bag and your foot comes up, that's the only way really to fix it. You can't just say, oh, pop-up slides aren't reviewable. Well, wait a second. I think the guy might have blown past the bag. I don't know. Like, his foot wasn't on the bag. You have to define it somehow. Okay, but I'm fi- I'm, I think that's great. Define it. But what I'm saying is nobody ever – this rule is never put in with the intention of a pop-up slide. It, yeah. it, became, it became something because we then said, oh, it looked like his foot popped off the bag. Well, that was never the intention. On the, on the pace of play thing, for me, it's not as much about length of game. It's about – I need – just give me some action. More often, action, right? In the NBA sure. – Hey, every there's going to be a shot at least within a 24-second window every single time up and down the court. In the NFL, you know that there's a 40-second play clock, and there's going to be some kind of action on a regular basis. In baseball, it's like... Whatever you want to call it, you need to pick up the pace. Sure. 651-646-8255. Mike, you're on with Mackie and Judd. What's up, Mike? Mike, you there? Mike. Mike's not there. Mike on hold. Mike's pace of play there, awful. I mean, when we go to calls, it's pace a call. That and was a bad pace of call. And it's not a 20-second clock. It's, yeah. it's like a two-second clock. No, I mean, we need you to start right away. Yeah. Well, we got to get to Maggio when we come back here. So, I don't know. Mike, call in, uh, call in later. But pitch clock, I'm all for. <laughs> I love the pitch clock. Put It'll it be interesting. Pitchers are going to be super flustered by it. There's going to be a huge, huge adjustment period. And spring training, I'm sure it'll be it'll be a thing. But And then it's up to umpires to, you know, Hold them accountable for yes, it. Exactly. And then who's going to watch that, too? That's the other question. Does the, does the home plate umpire have to watch that clock then over the... There's so many things that go into this. Or maybe you just put a shot collar on the pitcher. If the clock hits zero, <laughs> he just, just starts <laughs> starts rolling around the mound. Uh, Maggio, we'll talk some fantasy football. Get into our fantasy football challenge with you and the experienced season veteran, Maj. Matthew Collar from Winter Park in about a half hour from now. And uh, much to Judge Chagrin and Dave Chagrin, we are watching Tiger Woods' first round of golf in 301 days. Competitive round of golf on a 4K TCL Roku TV here in the studio. The best sports viewing experience you're going to find. That 4K picture quality, it's four times the picture quality of your standard 1080p TV that you probably have right now. And it's great for golf. I mean, remember when... When watching golf really changed, when you had those old box TVs, and then you got the 1080p picture quality on your on your HD TV, and that was like, oh my, mind blowing how much difference it was. It's even more mind blowing going to the 4K picture quality. It's like you're standing on the green watching Tiger Woods one under par after three holes. So that's what we have in our studio, the TCL Broadcast Studios. You can find out for yourself at any major local retailer here in the Twin Cities why TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand. Mackey and Judd. Phil Mackey. He's not a drama queen. He's a dummy. (laughs) Judd Zolgad. He's already ruined the Vikings. He's going to ruin the Wild. He needs to stay away from Target Center. Stay away from the Wolves. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Save the date for 1500 ESPN's 7th Annual Sports Fantasy Auction. It's happening Tuesday, December 12th. You can listen all day from 9 a.m. until 6 to purchase and bid on great experiences with all the proceeds benefiting Courage Kenny Rehabilitation Institute. It's presented in part by Able Chiropractic and TCL. Details at 1500ESPN.com. Come on! Yeah, Mackie and Judd talking football. Anthony Maggio 
is one of the three hosts of the Fantasy Football Party podcast on the 1500ESPN.com network of uh, podcast content. Our guy Tiger Woods has the chipping yips again, by the way. Did you see that? He just duffed a chip. (laughs) It's time Uh, to move on. Maj, uh, give us, uh, we're getting toward the end of it here, fantasy football season, into the month of December here. Give us some golden nuggets for week 13. Well, one thing I found pretty interesting, um, the Carolina Panthers play at New Orleans this Sunday. New Orleans obviously has had this ground attack working so well. Carolina is the only team in the league that has not allowed multiple rushing touchdowns in the same game this season. Uh, and the Jets just put up a pretty big number on them, but it was, you know, basically all through the air. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how that plays out with uh, with Kamara and Ingram uh, going against Carolina. Um, what else we got here? The Chiefs' offense, as much fun as they've been, just four touchdowns since week eight for that offense. And this last week, you know, they had a great matchup against Buffalo. Kareem Hunt did absolutely nothing. And the, the schedule for Kansas City looks good for the fantasy playoffs, but I don't know how – if you can't do it against Buffalo – you know, I don't know. I don't know how you can trust you know anyone outside of basically Travis Kelsey there. And then uh, this interesting nugget. So Rob Gronkowski, um, he's from Williamsville, right outside of Buffalo. He's played six games in his career in Buffalo. He plays his seventh coming up here Sunday. In those games, he has 35 catches for 583 yards and seven touchdowns. Wow! Six games. That's impressive. So he likes going home. Is Kareem still playable at, at this point, Maj, or should he be benched if you have other options? Yeah, I mean, if you've got, if you have reasonable options, I think you can bench him. I, you know, Kareem Hunt, you know, as a player, is not a bad player. Like I think he's an above-average running back. I, you know, um, he's versatile, he's talented, he's a hard guy to tackle. Um, but everything is kind of crumbling around him, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a case-by-case basis, but I don't think that you have to feel like you're doing something wrong if you put him on your bench. It's not like, you know, the, the sort of uh, old guard of start your studs, you know, even if you're still living by that. I don't know that he qualifies uh, in that realm any longer. Uh, you know who's, it's, it's from a fantasy perspective and from just a, a real-life perspective, what Sean McVay has done for Todd Gurley, freeing Todd Gurley, he's been one of the best non-quarterback players in fantasy. Uh, he's on pace, Mosh, to catch like 60 or 70 passes this year, yeah. which I don't know if that was going to be a huge part of his game, you know, when you looked at him the first couple seasons, but he's been well, awesome. Yeah, you're right. I mean, not under Jeff Fisher, it wasn't going to be. No. Uh, <laughs> that's, it, it's, you're exactly right. I mean, it's a system change. It's uh, it's a philosophy change. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting um, – when a Washington Post reporter pointed out a few weeks back how the way they're running that offense, you know, with with such a young quarterback as well, they're calling the plays very quickly and they're getting up to the line with like 25 seconds left on the play clock, like right away, so that they're able to actually call audibles from the sideline. Like Jared Goff's not the one diagnosing at, at the line of scrimmage. They're actually getting up there so fast that it's actually uh, the head coach making the calls and then Goff is relaying them. And so, it, you know, they're doing they're doing things differently there and they're being innovative in a way that's obviously worked very well. I'll be curious to see how coaches, you know, see and respond to that and if more teams don't start doing that, particularly for young quarterbacks that are under so much pressure to come in and perform right away. Hey, Maj, I think the Vikings did. If you go back to that game at the start, if you recall uh, the first Rams drive against the Vikings, they were very successful. Mm-hmm. I think I think at that point Zimmer realized exactly what McVay was doing and adjusted and didn't show him a thing. Right. So, no, so yeah. I think the Vikings because because the one thing with this defense is it it's multiple and it changes a lot. 
And I think they just decided basically don't show don't show McVay so Goff can't see it. And and th- therefore, I think the Vikings gave uh, the opponents of the Rams a little bit of a blueprint. If you can do that, to not show your defense until the last second. Yeah, no, I I think you you're exactly right there. I'm more curious to see if other coaches, you know, I, Bruce Arians is a guy who stands out. I mean, he's he's complained in the past about young quarterbacks just not being able to come in and do things at the line of scrimmage the way they need to. They're not getting trained that way in college, but as opposed to, you know, just complaining about it and, and doing nothing, you know, why not at least try something like what, what McVay is doing? Now you're exactly right. The defense is then it, – it's a game of adjustments, and defenses can adjust. The talented ones will be able to. Um, so you're right. I think the Vikings did give a blueprint on how to play that offense. So, it's you know, so now the ball is back in, in L.A.'s court. We'll see. Uh, you know, I, I have a feeling they'll probably have a few more tricks up their sleeve. Uh, Anthony Maggio uh, hangs out with us every week here from the Fantasy Football Party Podcast, 1500ESPN.com iTunes, wherever you would uh, ordinarily download podcasts. And every week, Judd, the amateur, when it comes to fantasy, who hasn't really played much in the last 15 years, and Maggio, who thinks about fantasy football on an hourly basis. Uh, I've got, we do a challenge between you guys, and it's been a couple weeks since we have had Maj on the actual air, radio airwaves. So we have two weeks of results to go over, and the news is bad for Judd. Uh, <laughs> I'm shocked Maggio by this. Maggio had the best week of any... Of any of the participants, either one of you guys, all season, 77.4 standard fantasy scoring points with Marcus Mariota being terrible last week, but Alvin Kamara and Julio Jones being incredible. Uh, The week before that, Maj beat Judd 51.5 to 46.8. So, uh, Judd, you had 30 points last week. Kamara the week before that. uh, You did, and he played well, but now you're down 592 to 500 on oh, the season Lord. here. So God. you got some time left. It's been a good run for but me. Why don't we start with, we'll start with Judd this week. A quarterback, a running back, and a pass catcher. You can't pick the same player twice all season. Go ahead. Okay, because of that, quarterback Phillip Rivers is the Chargers are going to play the Cleveland Browns. And I'm actually going to pair him with his wide receiver, Keenan Allen, against the Browns. And my running back will be... Christian McCaffrey, mm. Carolina at the Saints. So Rivers, McCaffrey, Keenan Allen are my three picks, Maj. Uh, if, if we had big money on the line here, I'd be a jerk and just start picking the same guys as you so that there was no way you could catch up. But since this is all in the spirit of good times. <laughs> I'm not going to catch up. Don't worry about it, Maj. Yeah, yeah. I will, uh, I'll pick some different guys. But uh, I'm going to go with Kirk Cousins at Dallas uh, this week. I mean, he's got back-to-back multiple touchdown games. Um, they played Dallas a month ago, and he only had 263 uh, and a touchdown and a pick here. But the Cowboys, they're allowing the seventh most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. And multiple touchdowns allowed down four straight and in all but three games this season, that, that Washington game being one of them. So I like uh, Cousins for some ceiling here. I'm going to go with Jordan Howard going against San Francisco for my running back. San Francisco's allowing the most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs this season. And, you know, with, with Howard, except for last week, which – it's forgivable because it was against Philly and they were doing nothing. Um, week two was the only other time that Howard didn't have at least 15 touches in a game. So he's going to get a ton of work in this one. So I, I like him for both floor and ceiling purposes. And I'm going to go with Brandon Cooks at Buffalo. Yeah, Like I said, I think Gronk has a huge game here, but with Chris Hogan's sideline, Cooks has really, he's been even more consistent. Just one game without at least 74 yards or a touchdown in his last seven overall. And he's always a, he's always a big play threat. So Brandon Cooks for me. Uh, Maj, you're a Bears fan. When John Fox gets fired, who do you want to replace him? Oh, you, gosh, it's a great question, and honestly, one that I've thought zero about. Like, during the fantasy season, I, I, <laughs> I have a hard time, like, just sort of marrying myself to my Bears fandom and, and thinking about it in those terms. I wish I had a good name to just sort of pull out the hat. How about not Jeff Fisher? Let's start there. <laughs> How about Pat Shermer, Maj? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, anybody at this point. I mean, right now, <laughs> Dave uh, John Fox is the only one who has been able to stop Tariq Cohen. I think Bo said that on our podcast uh, yesterday. Maybe Tubi <laughs> did, but like, it's just it's it's been so bad. I, and honestly, I give him credit. I like what they've done with the defense, but this is just not. Uh, it, it's not going well, and I think he's got maybe a year left on his contract, if, if I'm right there. But you know, he's. I, I mean, they're not going to extend him, so we'll see if they just let him go. And I, I kind of want them to because I just don't – it doesn't feel like he's the coach to rebuild uh, with a young quarterback like this. He's more, you know, plug and play with a good team, and, and there you go. So um, we'll see. I Yeah, Shermer, sure. Any Like I said, it, at this point, it's, it's almost anybody because yeah. we just need to see them do something different and be a little more um, original on offense and with their play calling. Anthony Maggio, find him every week on the Fantasy Football Party podcast. Bowman. Mitchell, John Tuvey are uh, the other hosts of the show. Anywhere you would download podcasts or 1500ESPN.com. Maj, we'll see you next week, man. Bye, Maj. Thank you very much. Later. All right. Uh, always super entertaining and fun. Yeah, you, you know, you got time left. you got five weeks I'm left. losing by 92 points. You just have to beat him on average by 15 points every week. And it's not going to happen. He'll take it down. Uh, I will accept my fate. You know what? I'm very impressed that after a 15-year absence, I've stayed as close as I did for as long as I did. That's true. And now it's pretty much over. 